Welcome to The Climate Torch from Entrepreneurs for Impact, where we interview CEOs, founders, and investors focused on building companies that tackle climate change. We cover lessons learned from failures and successes, insights into funding business growth, book recommendations, favorite podcasts, and much more. My name is Chris Wedding. I'm a former private equity investor, investment banker, founder, and professor focused on climate investment and innovation. I'm also the founder and chief catalyst at Entrepreneurs for Impact, where we support climate CEOs with roundtables, offering peer-to-peer advisory investor intelligence and executive coaching, because we believe in three things. Businesses grow when people grow. Number two, there's no reason for things to be so lonely at the top. And number three, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. So grab your favorite beverage or hop in the car for the commute and let's dive in. We are here with Miku Ja, uh, CEO of AgShift. We were joking before the call uh, that uh, I'm surprised as I look behind her, 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 <clears throat> her chair here that her wall is not covered by uh, awards as I see all the time. It seems like daily on uh, my LinkedIn feed. So great, great that a company like this is getting the kind of attention it deserves. Um, so Miku, it's great you're here. Uh, we talked about your, jokingly a little bit, your vendetta to make sure that food waste is not the 17th consideration in someone's day or someone's business. And of course, to do that, it's gotta be, it's gotta be easier, I suppose, right? Um, so maybe just you know start from the top, Ag Shift, great simple name also also implies a certain something shifting our, our patterns here so what 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 do you guys do sure so um Ag Shift, uh, we are an ai company from the technology perspective uh but our focus is very much to reduce food waste um that's the vision from which uh, our solutions or the entire thought process of the company stems um so what we do is essentially we are uh, working on automating the food quality assessment or grading process um, for this uh, for this industry and as we all understand uh, quality is a very very fundamental aspect for not just for the food supply chain as the industry but also for each one of us as consumers so having a way to make that process better, more operationally efficient, uh, more consistent, more digitized. It has numerous, numerous benefits. The one which we are after, which is closest to our vision is that making these changes will help the industry in significantly reducing food waste. Um, so that's what we are doing, uh, whether it's AI or digitization, to my mind, it's just the medium of expression, the medium being the technology. But the goal is to put these fundamental innovations to work, to solve these complex challenges which are facing us and nothing is more complex than reducing food waste because food waste is directly correlated to, to food security. It's much, much harder to grow more food. Um, it's way easier to, to waste less. And that's what we do. Uh, we apply technology, we use AI, we use computer vision, we use internet of things, all combination of uh, innovations to truly deliver a very simple consumable solution to organizations in food supply chain so that the quality inspection process uh, can significantly improve and become better for all of us. Yeah, lo lots of great threads to pull on uh, right there. Um, you know, maybe to start, uh, I haven't checked recently or I, maybe I forgot, but the, the project drawdown list, right, which ranks um, all these different solutions to climate change Food waste is pretty high up there, if I recall correctly, yeah? Yeah, food waste is, is it's high up there. And the reason is many folds. Uh, one is, like I said, it, uh, in, in our minds, 
it's easier to do than you know and whenever we talk about uh, you know the the how many people we have to feed over coming decades it gives us a shock thinking that you know how would we manage to grow so much more the perspective we have is that why don't we start where we still have control and much better understanding which is why how do we manage to reduce the waste and it's it's important because if you look at the food waste and where all it happens in the supply chain then you'll see that certain aspects of it are driven by the consumer patterns but a good 30 to 33% of that waste happens in this what we call as the fat supply chain as the food you know leaves the farm post harvest before it makes it to you know my kitchen or yours as a consumer between these two you know end points is where a good portion of food gets wasted and one component of that is inconsistencies in how the quality is assessed for these different commodities and more so for perishables like fresh berries or fresh produce so that is like one part of the pie which we are you know absolutely solving but that 33% can be significantly reduced with innovation with automation with technology with a little bit more awareness so it's doable it's solvable and um, that's what we want to do the other reason why this is so important is because the waste of food also directly relates to um, to food security issues uh, and the third is that food waste is also a big culprit from the greenhouse gas emissions perspective uh, so when you add all this up you know it's it's uh, it's very logical that it's very high on these initiatives but you know the solutions are to my mind they are still very scarce in the context of how big the problem is ideally you know we should have had a plethora of solutions and that is what the goal is that the first step towards bringing these innovation innovative solutions is to create the awareness that you know let's take the first step and hopefully that's what we are inspiring a lot of entrepreneurs and startup community with actshift to do yeah it does seem like such uh, common sense right that um you think well surely no one is opposed uh to uh, uh avoiding the waste the massive uh, waste with right. all this hard work and input i mean almost forget about i mean not that you should but forget about the environmental story for a second right even just all of the um again all the blood sweat and tears that goes into growing harvesting packaging uh food and I, I know we we joked on our our prior call um i know that you know one of your all's focus uh, crops let's say is strawberries and how in our 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 household with three kids um the the strawberries just seem to 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 uh rot so quickly unless we consume them within a day and yes. i just think gosh um just that as an example of the waste let alone trying to deal with you know three kids and 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 valuing all that goes into that food to to avoid the waste for the for the consumer portion that that is a, mm -hmm. a battle in and of itself uh but but the portion you're tackling is of course way you know way way upstream in a way it it, it reminds me of the other food related item on the project drawdown list which is plant-based uh diets again not vegan not vegetarian necessarily just plant-based diet and uh again so much waste that most of us just don't think about that goes into a meat-based uh diet i was i was looking through our, i was showing our our one of our teenagers uh, a diagram of kind of the co2 footprint for different meats mm -hmm. versus non-meats and you could just see his eyes get really big and i start to explain kind of the food pyramid and every time you go up a rung you lose like whatever 90 percent of the value right the calories anyway lots of common sense in um avoiding waste around food waste and food choice uh, you there, there's also a great uh graphic which i hope folks listening will go to on your website 
maybe you can tell me which page it's on again, but it, it's this great bar graph kind of showing US uh, food waste and where it comes from relative to, I think, Mexico and Canada, maybe some other places. But and next to that bar graph, there's a, I believe there's a, a bullet that talks about, you know, if help me with the numbers here, but if we can reduce food waste by 25%, we're feeding an additional 25 million. Yeah, every every one percent of reduction in food waste results in you know massive numbers in terms of you know how many people we can we can feed, and uh, and that yeah and that bar graph is exactly what I talked about that is you know breaking down the the food waste and trying to identify where are the big bubbles or the big you know uh, red zones where food waste is actually happening. Now, when we talk about consumers or consumer related patterns, uh, you know, that's different. You, you know, it has to come from the individual sense of ownership, right? But when it comes to the reason why we are so excited about this is because uh, the volumes in which the food moves through the supply chain, we are talking about industrial scale here, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you are able to do a good job as that, you know, truck full of strawberry or truck full of blueberries is in transit, if you're able to do a good job, uh, what think of it this way that it's very similar to, uh, it's very similar to like, uh, you know, being preemptive about diseases, right? Or medical conditions. So if you know it in a timely manner, there are many, many things you can do to avoid the worst case scenario. So this is no different. If you think about a perishable like, you know, seafood or strawberries, um, if you are able to do a fairly thorough job of assessing the quality upfront, right? Towards the beginning of the supply chain, then you're in a much, much better position to avoid the rejection and the waste at the last mile, right? So to give you an example, let's say you are, you know, typically as a business, you might inspect two pounds of strawberries, right? To decide the fate of that $5 million worth of strawberry shipment. Now, rather than two pounds, if you are able to inspect 20 pounds, given that you cannot inspect every single berry, right? Because you're running the industrial scale business here, but rather than two, if you inspected 20, then you have you just have many more data points. You have a much bigger sample to make a much better call preemptively on what is the quality of that shipment. Now, if you do find that this fruit is this shipment is not going to hold three days of transit from California to Florida, right? At this point, which is early on in the life cycle. You can do many things. You can route it to a shorter distance. You can sell it or you know allocate it to a tier two market. You can do four or five different things, which helps with the business, right? Because you haven't really wasted everything. It helps the grower because they still get paid, right? For mm -hmm. all the hard work which they have put in that fruit. And you, by not, by taking this preemptive step, you have avoided the possibility that this after the three day journey, when it reaches the big retailer, they will reject the whole thing anyway. And you have, this is how you have contributed to 33% of the food waste across mm -hmm. the supply chain, right? Right, right. So it's the analogy I give is that it's very similar to, you know, to, to health by being preemptive, by taking more steps early on uh, and increasing the samples over which you are making these decisions you are in a much better position to, 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 you know, play a role in this big equation, right? That one step can reduce this 33% to 30%. And that 3% results in feeding billions of more people, right? Well, you're making me feel better with the health analogy for my, my two green smoothies for lunch today. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Miku. Sure. And so I'm just thinking one other example, let's say that the quality was not, you know, uh, the, the highest level you, I, I guess a, a tier two diversion could also be, you know, like 
send them an hour away and freeze them for exactly. frozen strawberries, right? Exactly, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So or you know, you, you use it for jam or whatever because right. any option you take will be better than zero. Final zero reject, right? Which leads to all kinds of issues, you know, like we talked about the greenhouse gas emissions that has a very negative correlation to food waste, right? Then people not having enough on one end and then us wasting 33% on the other end. So it's just one step, but it has very strong implications. Like if you think about, you know, we have talked so far about perishables like strawberries or whatever, but think about seafood. Like the analogy with health is, you know, much more closer because if you make a mistake in quality assessment in case of seafood that can result in health hazard mm, right mm. it can lead to diseases it can lead to outbreaks none of us is a stranger to all these events and incidents which have happened and you know again it's just about being preemptive and increase the sample size use the automation to the maximum extent possible because that is the best definition of machines they are mm. just a tool Right, mm. like I don't put technology from this perspective. Like I said, technology is just a medium of expression. It's a tool, like rather than walking, you use a bike and you have efficiencies. It's exactly that, you know. So as if, if the industry can, you know, be more um, receptive, right, to technology driven automation, then we can solve this in a much better way because you cannot rely only on manual workforce to solve some of these problems. And we just have to use technology because, you know, it, what we see is that certain times there's this expectation that, you know, if you go from something manual to something automated, it has to deliver 100%, right? Like, you know, you're not going to buy a television if somebody said it works 99% of the time, right? Mm, mm. I'm not buying right. it. But, <laughs> but I think that perspective has to change. The, the thought process has to be that even if it gives me 5% automation, 10% automation, it's automation. It's a machine. You can augment it. You can have, as opposed to one, you can have 10. But that much benefit is also a massive benefit when the only other option is to augment people, which is not possible, right? So if we can start changing the expectation and we see that a lot more in the food supply chain, there is this, um, a different kind of resistance or expectation from a technology solution that it has to be 100% out there. Like it has to completely change the world or change mm. the facility. It's not gonna happen because these solutions, especially the, AI enabled solutions are so disruptive, right? That, you know, both ends like have to have this vision that you're taking a first step, you're investing in the future, right? Because that's what these solutions are. You have to work, you have to strategically collaborate and then you start seeing the values. Like wherever our customers are, we haven't fully automated their facilities but we have automated one part of it and then that one part has helped them with huge efficiencies, right? So it's about taking the first step or the next step as opposed to having the expectation that it's zero one, right? It's, right. it's not gonna mm -hmm. happen. All the AI solutions, if you look at it, they are augmentations to manual workforce. That's where we are at. Mm. Uh, that's how it should be looked at. They are not a replacement. And maybe they cannot be the replacement for certain applications or scenarios for a long, long time, right? So just look at it as augmentation. It's good well, enough. Yeah, and I'm sure some people listening will think, um, what a relief, right? Maybe not for their job, but for people they know, uh, th their jobs who, who are at risk potentially from AI or software eating, quote unquote, right? The world, their world. So, so maybe at, at, a, at the simplest level, uh, Miku, who's your customer and what are they paying for? Sure. So our customers are um, typically some of these large players in the food supply chain, like um, the first commodity which we have commercialized, fully commercialized AI-enabled automated grading is on almonds. So we have uh, some of industry's largest almond processors as our customers. And um, you know they're using our system, uh, our product, which is called Hydra, which is industry's first uh, AI-enabled food quality analyzer. So they are using it at their facilities to automate the AI grading process. And you know they're running the Hydras in, in three shifts 
to to benefit from that operational efficiency in terms of you know what they are paying for essentially it's many many aspects like a shared one is we are still not out of the covid era and um, and so the hydra serve as a perfect augmentation mm, do quality sure. assessment when you are really as a business you're really struggling to have enough hands on the deck to do these inspections as part of the daily job and actually you know that's another reason because if you do not have enough people to do the inspections then right there is the food waste because you can't get to so many mm -hmm. shipments in a day if you don't have people and you know many of our customers lived through this harsh reality uh, for last 9 or 10 months so what they pay for is essentially you know a lot of things automation um because now it's the ai enabled system which does the quality grading and the skilled labor is there just to oversee the process uh, right so one is automation second is operational efficiencies because it, these are machines they are able to run them configure them dynamically and run them in as many shifts as they want they are able to use the system to digitize everything so that the entire audit trail of inspection is now fully digitized mm. which helps them to integrate with their existing back office solutions and also in terms of claim management or whatever it serves as a as a very um, you know tangible proof or audit trail for the quality so it helps them immensely there and lastly but not the least they are able to significantly increase the sample size which helps them have a much much better handle on quality yeah. which results in enabling them to do more efficient product mixes and then you know if you have better quality then you are able to charge more which helps with their bottom line so yeah like you said you know the benefits are all across the spectrum but you know to put it very simply it's the same equation like you're investing in automation it's just like walking versus having a bike or a car all those efficiencies are delivered out of the door by relying on the automation and and do they, do they pay for this like a piece of machinery up front all at once is it is it do they do you help bring financing to it is it as a service is it performance based how do they pay for it Nika? sure uh, typically they pay for it as a as a service as a subscription service because we have a very sophisticated ai software which is making all this happen mm -hmm. in the background um but we have certain models where you know so in when they are paying for it purely as a service it's a lease model because the then the machine is not purchased by anybody you're just subscribing to it we have another model where they can pay for the machine which helps then the annual subscription for the software and the ai and other things that gets reduced so mm -hmm. that net net it's the same thing but it depends on what they are more comfortable with uh, but our goal is to you know we'll always have a a subscription a software as a service component to it because we have these very um, sophisticated ai algorithms which is in a continuous improvement or the self learning mode mm. and that's essentially what they are paying for because right. you know compared to people uh the machines are being trained 24 by 7 with ai to be in a continuous feedback and the improvement loop yeah and for even for us human beings who like to constantly learn it's not 24/7 365 that's true yeah <laughs> Well, I think it's great. I think it's great you have a service model. I think, you know, that's that is that is the that is a wave right now, right? Fill in the blank as a service. Right. Uh, and it's just so much so much logic to it assuming that that the company is confident in what it can deliver. Obviously, you all are confident in that. How about um how about your backstory at Mika? We talked about it a bit before this coming from, you know, security and mobile and and growing up in India. how do all the all those things lead you to where you are right now this is probably like a 3 hour over 3 glasses of wine conversation but you know the summary version i suppose sure no it's a you know it's it's a combination of many things uh, first of all you know it the root is of what are my roots and that is essentially i come from a small farmholder community back in india and india being an agro economy a lot of these challenges related to food i have grown up experiencing first hand being part of that uh, that community but more from a grower's perspective of what happens and you know where the gaps are where are the issues 
um, you know, India again um, has had issues with food security. So that's, these are the things which, you know, growing up, you just kind of, it becomes part of your DNA, whether you like it or not, it's always there and you grow up being very familiar with what that means. Um, then later, as I became a technologist and came to US, then I've done multiple startups. They were all technology startups, but uh, the trigger was back in 2016 when um, um, I was working with a lot of uh, irrigation sensor companies, IoT companies, drones and robotic companies, and trying to um, assess how to bring some of these solutions uh, to improve efficiencies for farms. Uh, that was the project I was driving with IBM's uh, uh, help. And in that process, I spent a lot of time in the food ecosystem here in US and came to the conclusion that the, the gap in technology uh, is similar to, the, I, to what I had experienced way back when I was growing up in India. That was surprising, but it also um, made it more immediate for me because 2016 was the year of the drought in California and back in India. Uh, and it's, it's not that, you know, droughts had not happened before or any of that, but what, what was the surprising thing is that, uh, you know, like any, the reasons for the pain which, you know, some of the growers or the ecosystem was going through was because they didn't even have um, access to basic data in terms of weather or, you know, in terms of figuring out the yield of the crop and what they could do to, to, to tackle this uh, situation. And that as a, as, a, as a technologist in the valley, which we all take for granted, uh, that just didn't sit well. Let's put it that way that, you know, uh, so with that notion, um, I wanted to do something uh, at least show up to change it. Um, because at that point in 2016, 2017, I was very blue. I had only done technology startups and you know technology projects. So I didn't really know what I was stepping into, so to speak. I didn't know the complexities of food supply chain. I was not from that. So it was literally starting from ground zero. Um, first six months you know, after quitting IBM, I was just driving to farms. I was just job shadowing quality inspectors. Um, I remember, you know, I drove to a farm. The grower didn't have time for me. I do not blame him. He was, you know, really, really busy uh, doing what he does the best. But I just sat there for two hours, um, had my lunch. Uh, my car was parked next to me. And after two hours, you know, he as he would take his tractor through the farm, he would give me a glance and then he would still continue doing what he was doing. Then finally he comes around and he says, are you lost? Do you need, <laughs> do you need directions? <laughs> so, you know, I went through that for six months. I, I didn't sit in the ivory tower and said, you know, let me build this and they will buy it. Because I didn't understand the ecosystem. I accepted that. And in those six months, went through a lot of discussions, a lot of job shadows, meetings with stakeholders and came to the a sense that if we can fundamentally touch quality in some way, right? Because food quality is so fundamental to the entire supply chain that it can have a exponential effect as opposed to being a silo effect. So with that conviction uh, is, is how ActShift started in, in 2017, Q2, Q3 timeframe is when we gave shape to the venture and really you know, started working on it. Well, I'm, I'm trying to picture uh, this farmer uh, observing you visit and thinking, why? Why? Why, why is she here? Wow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Very different worlds. Well, that's, yeah. that, but that's a, great, that's a great lesson for folks who's, who are listening and thinking about how do they start or improve their startup, you know, get away from the computer and go talk to customers or, you know, supply chain partners that are experiencing friction right what's yeah. what's a pain what's a pain for them especially in food i think you know in when you are still in the hub of technology you can make certain assumptions and you might be right you might be wrong but if you're not from the industry which is food and you make assumptions i can say with very high conviction you will be wrong 
because it's a very different industry. It has a very different mindset. It has very different problems and patterns that need to be solved. So unless that understanding is there, uh, mostly you'd be wrong. And this is what was proven also, because if you look at the data in 2015, 16, even to some part of 2017 timeframe, lots and lots of uh, you know, so-called farming apps were released with the assumption that you know, the growers will use it and it will improve the farming or the yield or the crop or the productivity, but uh, it didn't work because the assumptions were incorrect. Uh, you know, assuming that the grower will have the time to enter the data to give you the analytics that itself was flawed because the mm -hmm. grower doesn't have time. They're running on zero time. If you go stay 12 hours at a farm, you will see that they're running negative on time. So those assumptions, right? Some things which we just assume, uh, they don't work in this, in, this, uh, in this vertical at all. Yeah, great, great, great insight as well. Again, understanding that the, the, the daily uh, task list, the, the daily rhythm, of your customer is so important, isn't it? Right, right. right. How about uh, where, where where do you see ActShift in? Well, I was going to jokingly, I was going to say five or ten years, given that you have uh, outside investors. I hope they're <laughs> they're probably <laughs> saying you've already exited for the whatever fourth time, uh, Miku. But what's the longer term vision? Do you think uh, for ActShift is, is it more vertical? Is it more crops? Is it different technology? Is it different countries? What is that vision? I would say to start with, it's more crops uh, because we want to bring this uh, AI automation to, to crops uh, which are most perceptible to you know, getting into the food waste due to inefficiencies in quality inspection. So that is why we are very focused on, on, on fresh produce or you know, other commodities. So that's one scaling it out on you know, the top 20 or 30 commodities that we want to take on. Um, from there, I think the second thing which I'm very passionate about is you know, uh, truly to make sense of the data, to offer some meaningful solutions to things like uh, shelf life analysis or assessment, uh, you know, meaningful solutions towards uh, digitizing the audit trail so that you know, all the idea about about things like you know blockchain enabled solution where we talk about you know the journey of the commodity right uh, and uh, i understand as a consumer why that is so important the farm to fork journey but but you know as a business uh, that's only half of the story uh, what i mean is that as a business uh, it's not just about the journey uh, being part of that supply chain, I probably already know that journey, right? I know where all the hops are being taken for that truck when, you know, from point A to point Z. But what I don't know is that what happened to the quality, where did it deteriorate, by what extent, which defects, which conditions, and all of that, which can be very easily provided with what we have as a solution because we have the most uh, accurate lens on quality since we literally inspect every single berry or every mm. single blueberry or every single almond or cashews or shrimp, right? Mm. So you cannot have better granular data than that. And if we are able to stitch that, then I think we can really change some of the things which are again contributing at the supply chain level, not at the organization level, but at the supply chain level to, to issues with quality and waste. So that's the next step. First step is to expand it to different kinds of commodities. And then as we build this very unique repository, start offering these high value services, which can bring efficiencies to the entire chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it does not take much effort to see how this uh, Hydra solution can be scaled to to other other crops, right? Even for a non you know ag person uh, like myself. Mm -hmm. ha, let, let's let's transition a little bit. Uh, one more question, and then we'll have kind of these this series of, of recommendations from you at the end here. But uh, you know, this is your I think fourth. Is that right? Fourth fourth startup. 
fourth, well, third officially, fourth okay. unofficially. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on how you count, right? <laughs> yeah. It, and look, you and I know it's it's always uh, not, um, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It's hard, but still worth it usually. Uh, any advice to those folks listening who are, again, starting something or in the middle of something, whether they're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur hitting brick walls, advice for avoiding those examples from, you know, where, where you've kind of come up against these, but found a way around them. Sure. Yeah. My, you know, the, for all, all the companies, my fundamental thing has been to that before you write your first line of code. I'm just talking in the context of a technology startup, mm -hmm. you know, before you start building the solution, you really have to answer the question that are you solving a problem, right? And many times as technologists, uh, we take it in reverse. We get swayed away by the coolness of the technology and build something with the assumption that how is it even possible that they won't take it <laughs> well they won't take it because they right. are not buying it because it's a cool technology they are going to buy it if it is actually going to solve their problem and this is you know this is a very bitter experience in uh, especially when you talk about um, industry verticals which are not so digitized or which are not so prone to you know just taking just adopting technology, like food is one example of that. Food vertical is a tough vertical from that perspective, but it's it's incorrect to say that the industry has a resistance to, to technology. I think that's, that's the most flawed statement I've heard because it's a business. And mm -hmm. if you are able to deliver on the ROI, there's no resistance. How can there mm. be, right? right. So it, like, you know, yes, Hydra is an AI-enabled solution. It has computer vision. It has internet of things. It has machine learning. It has cloud. Those are not the reasons why our customers like our solution. Mm -hmm. They like our solution because we are 15 times faster than the manual inspection. They can do 20 times more samples through the Hydras. And it can run in three shifts without having any issues. Mm -hmm. Those are the reasons. They would right. care less if I solved it using the Excel spreadsheet right. or if I solved it using AI, right? So I feel that's a huge disconnect in, you know, in, in the world of technology. We get swayed by the coolness of the technology as opposed to, is it really solving a problem? And can I quantify that it's solving it correctly? All the work or the pre-work done to vet and validate the product that you're going to build, that's the absolute step needed before you start coding for it. That, that, that's at least that's what has what I have learned in very hard ways. That's why I said <laughs> maybe four. <laughs> right, um, right. right. But I think if we can do that, then uh, rest is purely execution and delivery, which many people can do. I think it's really well said. Uh, in fact, you know, I think if, if, if entrepreneurs were to look at tools like, you know, the lean canvas or something, um, you know, it, it actually tells you the order by which you complete these boxes of this one page business plan. And the first box is not solution, right? Uh, I think it's maybe problem, yeah. customer, unique value. And then you go, you know, to solution, right. but I, I laugh with you. I've I've been enamored with my shiny object in the past and just heads down with my CTO, just create, 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 create. We'll sell it later. What a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. All right. Uh, three easy questions. So a recommendation, uh, Miku, on perhaps a, a book that the audience should consider uh, reading or listening to. It can be business or or many suggestions are not business. What what comes to mind for you? Well, for me, uh, you know, it's it's not related to business. I um, I subscribe to one of the philosophers, uh, and you know, the company was originally incorporated with his name. It's uh, Jiddu Krishnamurthy. So, any book by him, I think the the you know, I would recommend. It's not so much about starting a business, but it's actually about uh, 
you know, how do you get away from all the all the conditioning that continuously, you know, you're bombarded with, and then filter that out so that you can truly find what you want to do, the courage to do that. For me, it has been very important because, you know, a, a, a example with ActShift itself is that, you know, I, when I started it, I was questioned really hard by a lot of investors and people saying, why are you getting into food? Why don't you do something in mobile? It's proven you've been successful, we'll fund you. Mm. Um, when you're faced with situations like that, you need something else to, to stand up to it, to have conviction in your conviction that, mm. you know, you may be wrong, but that's what you want to show up for. So I think there, um, his thinking has helped me a lot and I would recommend that to anybody. Well, you're the first uh, interviewee on the torch who's, who's recommended a philosopher slash, you know, guru, let's say. So good for you, Krishnamurti. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I've read some of his work, not enough, but I, I can relate a little bit in that, you know, for 25 years, I've had various meditation practices. And it's only, it's only in the last, you know, year when I decided to launch this CEO Roundtable program that I'm like, oh, well, I can actually bring that to work because it matters to, you know, right. maintaining, finding and maintaining conviction, clarity, resilience, all these things. So uh, love that. Yeah, I know, about, you know, we come across things like, you know, habits of highly successful people or whatever, but my point is every person is completely unique and different and your life experiences are completely different. And, it, it's not that you have to adapt to those. It's more about, you know, you hear, if you yourself have conviction in what you want to do, I think that's good enough. Um, and, you know, that also helped me last year. It was and continues to be a very tough time for all of us, more so for, you know, young startups like ActShift, where not everything is set. A lot of things are still in motion. You still get up every day not knowing you know half of the things how they will turn out you are in this very delicate stage and then you are faced with a pandemic and you don't really know whether you have the inner strength to overcome <laughs> it you don't know maybe you it's can hard enough a, already maybe yeah. you can put a brave face in front of it but yeah. internally you're like can i you know like can i still get up and do it and can i motivate my team who's mm. struggling can i you know keep it positive with my customers who don't know if their facilities will be open, can I still plow through it? And there, I feel that it's the inner core of an entrepreneur more so because they have to deal with so many more and I'm not even bringing family into the equation, which I have, right? So all of that, I think it, 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 it helps when you have this mental clarity. So whoever is a philosopher or whoever you subscribe to, but if they can add to the inner strength, uh, so that you're prepared for the unknown. Being prepared for the known is very easy. Mm. Being prepared for the unknown is what we need to do more so as an entrepreneur because every day, half of it is going to be you know unknown events which you didn't know would happen. Mm. Yeah, it's well said, Biku. How, how about a recommendation for a, a quote? Something short and sweet, shorter than uh, a Krishnamurti book. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if it's sweet. Okay, short yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like this quote, but I don't know. Well, you know, I'll say it and then, you know, you decide if you it. keep it or not. <laughs> Go for it, yeah. Uh, so he says, you know, it's, uh, it's no measure of intelligence to be well adjusted to a profoundly confused society. Mm. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's back to the same thing that, you know, you have to kind of whatever it is that you're doing, uh, you have to find your own path as opposed to just, just adjusting to the feedback and the noise and the clutter around. So I, I love that quote. Um, I don't know what you think of it. No, wait, wait, was this, is, is this Krishnamurti? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> the quote, I've heard the quote before. Uh, par partly I laugh because as I, as my three kids see my various habits and preferences, um, they're like, Daddy, you're different than the others. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, I think. Or maybe when you're older, you'll say it. You'll, you'll, you'll really... 
yeah. agree with that. How about a how about a podcast? Do you, do you listen to podcasts? Make you any you like? No, I, I don't really, Chris. I I don't listen to podcasts somehow. It's, doesn't I haven't done it. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll recommend some to you later. Sure, you know? sure. We're, no. we're also not in our our cars very much. Although I suppose my, I typically listen to them on walks in the in the woods here. Anyway, yeah. no worries. Any any closing thought? Uh, Miku, uh, whether that's, I don't know, advice for the entrepreneur or whether that's a, you know, uh, ask with a lowercase a as it relates to Ashif, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, my, I have two things. One is that, uh, you know, I do feel that uh, this is a personal assessment, but I do feel if we really want to, uh, you know, what I would like to see is more, more young women entrepreneurs. Uh, show up to solving food challenges. And the reason I say that is because I feel in many weird ways, women are more connected to food because of you know our personal lives, our family lives, we are closer to food. We get exposed to it a lot more and you know it resonates easier. Uh, you know, when you talk about food, when you talk about topics related to it. So I feel we all can benefit a lot if lot more young women entrepreneurs had a platform, um, had a way to, to, to start thinking about it and take the first step because it is the 50% of our creative minds. Mm. And naturally they can, <clears throat> they can contribute a lot to a space like food. And it's one of the biggest problems we have as a, as a society, which does need a lot of thinking, a lot of initiative, a lot of effort. Otherwise, we'll just keep talking about how to feed, you know, so many billion people mm -hmm. over the next 40 years. That's not going to help. Right. Um, uh, so I feel that, you know, whoever our listeners are, um, you know, to, to, to just have that awareness to, to, to help uh, young women entrepreneurs. The reason I bring women is because, first of all, the, the, you know, the, the degree of association with food is much reduced. Uh, they can think, that's my personal perception. I've seen this with many women entrepreneurs. They'll come up with things which, you know, which are just like bright out of the blue, mm -hmm. but there's no forum, there's no platform to, to, to you know, and it's, it's tougher for them. And the other thing is that, you know, related to that, one reason why this number is very low is because for many, many reasons, uh, it's tough. Uh, fundraising is a tough game. For, for women. And it makes sense to me why from data perspective, uh, because it's a circular problem. If you think about it, there are not so many successful proof points. So you don't have enough proof points to back them mm -hmm. and you don't back them. So you don't have enough proof points, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I feel somewhere we have to break that. And if we can accomplish these two, then I think many powerful innovative solutions can come, which can help all of us uh, to, you know, to solve these problems which today for a lot of it you know these are good conversations or topics but we have to translate them into solutions and that's i'm doing what i can in terms of helping women entrepreneurs but you know if all of us could wake up and you know create that awareness give give a forum give a platform then i think we can change that very quickly as opposed to just talking about it well i, lo I love that it's a great place to to, to finish and maybe just I think three three organizations perhaps worth mentioning. Uh, one, two are pretty new. One is called Women in Climate Tech, mm -hmm. um, which is maybe I don't know a couple of months old. So aiming to to kind of facilitate um, kind of women leadership both at the corporate and startup you know kind of levels. Another is um, Climate Raise, okay. so helping you know more venture investors. Um, and maybe you're probably aware of this, but more venture investors find women led. Uh, startups, and I think a third. I believe you're you're a mentor with. This is um. I wrote it down. Uh, is it Merge Lane? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm my advisor there. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, you know, with with the work we do at Entrepreneurs for Impact, you know, with the CEO Roundtable, you know, one of my goals is to make it a very diverse group. But heretofore, you know, it's a lot of folks that look kind of like me. Um, and I'm like, um, and despite my, I was going to say, best bad, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> despite, despite trying very hard to make it diverse, I'm not having as much success. And I, and I realize it's a bit of a circular kind of thing, right? 
if we're trying to, if, if it's really meant for, you know, growth stage-ish, you know, companies, well, there's a small pool to draw from historically. But right. anyway, I, I'm right there with you. These, these three organizations are great places helping to do that. Sure. Um, as well as you and all sorts of, you know, great women leaders out there in the, in the space. Well, um, uh, Miku, this has been a highlight uh, of the week. Um, so, so, so fun to talk to you. Um, and thanks for sharing so much uh, with, with, with the torch. I'm going to hit pause now, but don't you go anywhere. I'll debrief sure. for a bit before we enter into. Okay. The, thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks a lot. Weekend. You got it. Thank you for listening to The Climate Torch from Entrepreneurs for Impact. If you'd like to learn more about climate finance and startups, I write a weekly newsletter called Zero, which you can find via the footer on our website, entrepreneursforimpact.com. In these, I also write about personal development and conscious leadership with questionable attempts at humor. Finally, if you or someone you know might benefit from joining a private club for post-accelerator growth stage climate CEOs and investors, then schedule a call at our website. Our year-long cohort with just 10 to 15 executives helps members make better decisions, scale their businesses more quickly, be held accountable to their top personal and professional goals, create more time in their day, motivate their teams and work on not just in their ventures. Plus, we've got a member-only climate investor database with 550-plus corporate and project investors to help leaders become more investment savvy. Until next time, remember this. We need more than $1 trillion invested per year to hit our climate goals, and big problems mean big opportunities. So if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? All right, let's get to work, y'all.